Tonight's going to be just a little bit different. Uh, I usually, to be hermeneutically sound, uh, will start with my text, read a few verses, and uh, give you a title and preach for a while. But tonight, I'm going to uh, I'm going to start with a story. Uh, I don't do it very often, but. Uh, Within the last couple of weeks, I was reading through some, I don't know if it was devotional or whatever, and came across a story and this afternoon sitting around the house. I didn't know who was going to be here tonight, but God knew somebody that was planning on being here that needed to hear what I'm getting ready to preach to you. And uh, I read this story about a little boy that was visiting his grandparents. And uh, when he got there, his grandpa wanted to, to introduce him to what manhood was all about with hunting. And, and uh, he got to his grandpa's house and he handed him a slingshot. He said, this is, your, this is your first slingshot. So the little boy got excited. and He went through gathering every kind of small stone that he could that fit perfect in the slingshot. And he went through the woods and he was shooting at everything that he could, and he never could hit his target. He would draw the slingshot back, close one eye, open the other eye, close one eye, and try to get it lined up, and he'd, he'd turn it loose, and it'd miss every time. So the story said that he was out in the woods playing and trying to shoot trees and shoot whatever he could shoot at, and he heard his grandmother's call for dinner. So as he came back to grandma's yard, there he saw her pet duck playing. And he just, on an impulse, without even thinking, he pulls back that wonderful slingshot. And he's like, I hadn't hit anything all day, so whatever. And he... And uh, you would know that the stone hit its target. The poor little duck lost its life. And uh, the boy panicked. And he ran desperately toward the duck. And uh, he carried it over to a wood pile. And he was going to hide it there in the wood pile until he could come up with a plan. And as he stood up from the wood pile... He looked, and standing there over his shoulder was his sister, Sally. Sally had seen it all, but she said nothing. After lunch that day, Grandma said, Sally, let's wash the dishes. But Sally said, you know, Grandma, Johnny told me he wanted to help you in the kitchen today. And she looked at him and said, didn't you, Johnny? Johnny looked at her kind of funny and raised his eyes at her, and she said, the duck? Johnny said, oh, oh, yes, I'll help Grandma. So the day passes by, and Johnny did the dishes, and later on, Grandpa said, hey, kids, we're going to go down to the river and do a little bit of fishing, and Grandma said, I'm so sorry, honey, but I really need Sally to stay here and help me make supper. Sally smiled and said, Grandma, that's all been taken care of. 
Because Johnny has already told me that he's always wanted to help you cook supper. Again, she whispered to Johnny, remember the duck. So Johnny stayed while Sally went fishing. And after several days of Johnny doing both his chores and Sally's chores, he could not stand it any longer. So he runs to his grandmother and he confessed to her that he had killed the duck. And she said, I know, Johnny. She said, I was standing at the window and I saw the entire thing. And because I love you, I forgave you. But I didn't say anything because I wondered how long you would let Sally make you a slave. So I've come on Sunday night to preach to this church. So long, Sally. I've come to preach tonight so long, Sally. I don't know who I'm preaching to or reaching for tonight, but I've come to preach to somebody that the devil has been hanging over your shoulder every time you try to progress in the kingdom of God and do something for God. And the only thing you hear is a reminder of everything that you've done and everything that you've been and everything that you've been through and every failure in your life. And every time you try to walk in victory, the devil raises an eyebrow and says, but don't you remember? I know it may be old hat to some of you tonight, but I'm here to preach to you that every time the devil tries to remind you of your past, you ought to remind the devil of his future. I am tired of the devil holding people captive by their past mistakes and by the things that they've been through. I'm here tonight to give somebody the courage to say so long, Sally, so long to where I've been, so long to what I've been through, so long to what I've been identified as. I am a child of the Most High God, and I've been set free. Does anybody believe that tonight? He that the Son has set free is free. Free indeed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In your Bibles in 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter, we find a story that is so familiar. The Bible tells us that it was in the time of year that kings go to war. But David stayed home. There is a grave danger in not being found in the place that you're supposed to be at the right time. But as we survey this story, it's always easy to point the finger and say, what a shame. But ladies and gentlemen, I would respectfully submit to you tonight, there's not one of us in this room that have been found in the wrong place even at the right time. We've been found in precarious situations that we shouldn't have been in. But, you know, I think that there needs to be a very clear understanding in the way that our minds form thought about what we've been through. And I think tonight that if I can help you settle anything in your heart, it's that not every failure is fatal. Not every time that you slip and make a mistake doesn't mean that you're hopelessly lost forever. Now the devil wants you to believe that there is no recovery. The devil wants you to believe that there's no way that you're ever coming out of this. But I want you to understand what really happened. 
is that you made a mistake because you were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Now, I will admit that in 20-something years of pastoral ministry, it is a fact that some people make a mistake and some people start a trend. Some people make a mistake and they learn from the mistake. And other people, they don't want to learn from it. They keep doing what they're doing. And so they're repeat offenders over and over. But I'm here to declare to somebody in Jesus' name, you can have the victory over that cycle tonight. You don't have to get stuck there forever. The Bible said that David was at home and he walked out onto the roof of the king's house. And there... In the second verse of 2 Samuel 11, it said that he saw this woman washing herself. Now, I'm going to show you another trick here. And the woman was very beautiful to look at. Now, I know that it was with the sincerest of motives that I was told when I was a kid that this world has nothing to offer. But I want to tell you it does. If it wasn't fun, they couldn't call it a party. Boy, that's pretty quiet in here right now. This world has plenty to offer. That's why it's always beckoning. If getting high didn't feel good, people wouldn't get high. If drinking didn't feel right to people, they'd quit doing it. But they're always searching and looking. There's plenty that could... Be beautiful to you in this world. Now, I don't want anybody being offended by what I'm about to say. So just put your seatbelt on. Pull your big boy britches up right here for a second. But I don't think it was a mistake at all. That when he walked out there, the ugliest, biggest, meanest woman in all of Israel was not the one that was bathing in the water. I, I know. Some of you are like, well, what the world does he think he's talking about right now? <laughs> you know, the Bible, the Bible doesn't say that she was the ugliest woman in Israel. It said that she was beautiful to look on. You're going to find out that whenever you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, that the enemy knows how to put the right thing. Oh, God. I'll get there in a minute, but i got to lay a foundation. He knows how to put the right thing in front of the right person at just the right time. When you should have been doing a work for the Lord and fighting in the kingdom, you chose to sit back and relax. And so the enemy said, I know just the right time to make the paths cross. Now, I'm not saying that the devil put a beautiful woman in the water. The devil doesn't control things. But understand the way that temptation works is that temptation allows you the window to see exactly what's going to happen in your life if you follow after the thought and the impulse that you have a proclivity uh, to lean towards. The idea that any of us are exempt from failure is the furthest thing from the truth. I don't care if you float six inches off the ground and you speak 
speak in tongues 26 hours a day and you pray for eight days a week. You are absolutely, positively, unequivocally, you have the ability to fail. But this is what the Holy Ghost has sent me to preach here tonight. You are not the first one to fail and you won't be the last one to fail. And just because you did doesn't mean that God has washed his hands of you and that he's finished with your life. I feel like reaching for somebody and telling you tonight that God is not finished with you. So here's what we know. Opportunity presents itself. Now, how do we fix all this, Pastor? Well, I was kind of raised to believe that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Anybody ever heard that? That an ounce of prevention is better than a whole pound of cure. And I will preach to the fact tonight that there are people, I've heard it all my life, that people say the Bible says God puts more on you, God will never put more on you than you can bear. That is not biblical. It's not, it's not found anywhere in the Bible that God will never put more on you than you can bear. The only place in the scripture that alludes to that idea whatsoever is dealing with temptation. And it says that you will never be tempted above what you are able to bear. But notice this. But with every temptation, God will make a way of escape. I want want to, at this point in the story, to scream to David and say, Just turn around. Just, Just turn around. I know she's beautiful. And I know you think it's a great opportunity. But let's not have to restore what you can fix before you ever walk out there. We spend so much time in the church restoring things that did not have to be broken. We spend so much time in the kingdom having to invest in things that have been shattered in a million pieces that could have literally been fixed and stopped and eliminated if at the first glance when we saw the trouble on the horizon we could have turned around and went back and said, you know what, it's not worth it. I would rather please the Lord. It's pretty tough in here right now. I don't know who I'm preaching to, but I feel it in the Holy Ghost tonight. The Bible said in verse 3 that David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? You notice how this keeps stacking. So now not only is she beautiful, but she's married. And she's off limits. God I said she's off limits she belongs to somebody else but David sent messengers and took her and she came into him and he lay with her and the Bible said in verse 5 that the woman conceived folks listen I wish I wish I could take the credit for coming up with this book but I didn't this is what I know 
Lust, when it is conceived, brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, it brings forth death. Now, if you've ever studied this story, you know that from this point, the story gets pretty crazy. The woman conceives. She has a baby, and obviously, she comes to the king. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is royal seed. And so she comes to the king, and she lets him know that she has conceived. She said, I am with child. And so David calls to Joab, and he said, go get me Uriah, her husband. Go get me Uriah. Now, I want you to notice how sin's avalanche works. It just starts with a glance. It starts, starts with a glance. And now, now we've, got, we've got a glance, but we can't look away. And so now we're having a conversation with what we should have looked away from. Oh, God, help me tonight. Now we're having a conversation, and the conversation leads to intimacy, and the intimacy leads to conception, and now conception leads to confusion, and confusion leads to death. Does this sound anything like the word? And so now we've got a man who's doing, now this is so, this is so crazy to me. This is the power of conviction. David ought to know how this felt because when he went to fight Goliath, Saul tried to put his armor on David because Saul didn't want to wear it. So now, Saul, so, so now David is sending for a man that's doing what David was supposed to be doing. Are you with me? Uriah is fighting and David is at home. And so David says, all right, here's the plan. I made a mistake, so let's cover it up. And he starts to try to cover it up. And he said, go get Uriah for me. He said, he said bring him home. And this is, what, this is what my plan is. I know that he's tired and I know he's been at battle. And uh, I know that since he's been gone, he's probably been missing mama. So I'm going to bring him home and I'm going to tell him that he gets to go home and spend a couple days with mama and we're going to cover this whole thing up and it's no problem whatsoever. And so David went to bed that night, laid his head down on the pillow and he thought, man, I have outsmarted this whole thing. Nobody in the kingdom's ever going to know. I've got this whole thing taken care of and I can sleep on this knowing that my sin is about to be covered up. And nobody's ever going to find out what I did. He got up the next morning and walked over to his coffee pot, poured out a good cup of coffee, started to take the first drink when somebody knocked on the door and said, Oh, king, oh, king. He said, Leave me alone. I'm drinking coffee. They said, Oh, king. No, no, you don't understand. Uh, we, we, we just want you to know we did our part last night. We told Uriah to go home to Bathsheba. But, sir, there's a problem. He said, what's the problem? They said, sir, Uriah never went home. He was asleep on the front porch of the palace. He was asleep outside. And when we asked, why wouldn't you go home? He said, because I have brethren that are fighting. And if they're fighting, I'm not going to be at home. Oh, you ain't hearing me right now. He knew the safest place to be was in war with his brethren to know that if my brother has a fight, I'm going to fight with my brother. If my brother's going through it, I'm going to go through it with my brother. There is power in unity in the kingdom in knowing that your brother should never have to fight alone. 
only way that that thing is ever going to be resolved in your life is true repentance. You will never progress in the kingdom of God by keeping something hidden in your soul. Listen to me. I'm telling you, I know what I'm talking about tonight. It has hindered more people in their worship when you try to raise your hands and Sally says, you've got no business raising your hands right now. The Lord says, hey, let's go a fishing. And Sally says, you don't have any right to go fishing. You have no right to be fishing for somebody else when you have no self-control in your life. And so fish are left in the pond. Souls, souls are left on the line because we can't get there. Because every time we try to escape our failure, Sally says, don't forget. Don't forget what you've done. Don't forget who you've been with. Don't forget what you said. I know this is elementary tonight, but the Holy Ghost sent me here to help somebody. The Holy Ghost sent me here for somebody that's been carrying guilt on your shoulders. Every time you walk into the house of God, you can't worship like you used to worship. You don't run like you used to run. You don't dance like you used to dance. Come on. I'm going to help somebody in this house tonight. You carry a load of guilt on your shoulders. The Holy Ghost sent me to reach for you tonight. It is not too late. not too late finally David said the only way I'm going to fix this is I'm going to send I'm going to send him out but I need you to put him in the hottest part of the battle I want you to send him out to the front line I want you to send him out where we know for sure he's not going to live through the night I don't want this to get real super heavy tonight because I've come to preach hope but I want to I, 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 I want to say something that I believe must be dealt with in this story that there will always be death that accompanies things. That you try to cover up. It's inevitable at some point. Somebody is going to be mourning in this process. Somebody is going to be hurting in this process. Somebody is going to be dealing with dark days in this process. I wish so bad. I wish so bad. That I could go back through the years. And, and revisit conversations that I've had with people. Show them what they went through. And then go back to that conversation where you try to tell them, if you do this, are you hearing me tonight? I know. I know how the devil makes you think. He makes you think that all preachers want to do is put their thumb on you and push you down and keep you afraid from doing anything. Get an open mind. Just, just open up your mind. You know, try something else. Try something new. Get out there and just see what's happening in the world. And you sit with them. Parents sit down with them. Pastor sits down with them. You look at men that have great blessings in their lives. Wonderful wife, but they can't see it. Because they're so blinded by it. And you sit down and you counsel with them and say, listen, you got it good at home. Don't, 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 don't let the enemy paint a picture for you that the grass is greener somewhere else. I'm going to tell you why your grass is dead. It's because you had not been watering it. It ain't going to fix anything if you go to somebody else's yard because they got green grass. Because if you treat that grass the way you've treated this, it'll be dead in no time at all. Can I tell you something, church family? Some things are still worth fighting for. Don't count it out yet. Don't call it dead yet. 
breathe life back into that thing. I've sat with them time after time and said, please don't do this. Please don't go. Please don't take that job. Please don't try that. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? I was there at the meeting when my dad asked a, 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 a person one time, he said, please don't, don't take that job. And that person looked at Bishop and said, when you pay my bills, you can tell me where to work and when to work. Come on. I'm here to stir something up in this house tonight. I was in that. I, I, I was there. I remember that time. I've been, in the, I've been in the office for every meeting since I've been a pastor. Ain't nobody surprising me with nothing. I've sat in there and I've begged and pleaded with people, prayed for them, fasted for them. But I understand this. I know this is rhetoric to a lot of people, but this is how I was raised. Anybody remember hearing this? Sin will take you further than you want to go. Keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you more than you want to pay. But people don't want to listen to that from somebody that's been through it. Is there anybody in here tonight that can testify to these young people? It's all right to have a testimony of staying. Come on, God doesn't have to restore if you'll just stay right here in the house of God. If you'll just keep yourself pure. Keep on loving God. Hear me tonight, young people. Get up and sing in that choir every time you get a chance. Get out in the aisles and dance every time you can. It's better in the house of the Lord. I want to move on tonight. But I want to preach to you young people, and I want you to understand. Hear me, please, please. You have the greatest testimony in the world by saying that I stayed when I could have walked away. When I could have backslid and did my own thing, I stayed in the church. Come on, this is old-fashioned, I know it. But someday, if you'll keep yourself pure... When you stand at the altar with your spouse that you're getting ready to marry and you look them in the eyes and say, I kept myself for you. I, I kept myself for you. Listen, you don't have to live a life of heartbreak and heartache. You don't have to have the testimony that God reached down in the miry clay and picked you up. Thank God you learned a lesson from your mother and dad and others that have been through it. The devil came after me, but I stayed. Come on, let's lift our hands to the Lord right now. <laughs> Yesterday, I was at IBC at Indiana Bible College for orientation. And they called all the, the, the freshman class down front in the chapel. And I walked up with my wife. We were just all praying. Brother Muse was there. And 
We're just praying over the kids. As I started praying, maybe you think I'm just being negative, but I started thinking of all the people that my wife graduated with at IBC. All the ministries that come out. Guys that I've preached conferences with. Camp meetings. Walk the halls of conferences together, laughing, talking about the goodness of God. And tonight, there's nothing in their life that even resembles the church. On their second, third, fourth spouse, all, all messed up, their minds are messed up. I can't imagine, like, think about the opportunity. Going to an apostolic Bible college for four years. Being poured into every day. The doctrine of the word of God. Every service, every chapel. God have mercy. Sit through sermons and hear, hear Paul Mooney preach for four years. I'd like to hear Paul Mooney preach for four years. Don't even know what you got while you got it. Then walk away and at just the right time. Walk out on the porch and here comes Bathsheba, a false doctrine. And it's beautiful. <laughs> Man, if you'll get out of that closed-minded stuff, you'll build a bigger church than anybody's ever built a church in UPC. All you got to do, all you got to do is just let up, just let up, just let up, just let up. Man, I've heard it all my life. Just, if you'll just cut this off, if you'll just stop, if you'll just, and you know what? They're not blowing the doors off their churches. You know who's growing the fastest churches in America right now? People that are standing. The fastest growing churches in America are people that are standing for righteousness. People that are standing for truth. I want to tell you tonight, we've got to hold on to this thing. This is precious, precious truth. Oh, God, help me tonight. I'm trying to get where I'm going in a hurry. But the Bible said that he sent Uriah, killed him, brought his mistress in. And now the word of the Lord tells us that the prophet Nathan, comes to David I could preach a six week series on just the twelfth chapter Nathan comes and he says what is it man of God I'm telling you those are awkward conversations when you know the man of God knows and you try to act stupid and say what is it would you like a cup of coffee come on in he said, David, I want to tell you about a man. He said, I want to tell you about a man that had all kinds of sheep. He had more than a man could ever need. He said, but a traveler came through town. And when the traveler came through town, he was hungry. And of course, you know, the doctrine of hospitality said he had to bring him in. And 
feed him a meal. And so the man that had all the sheep that he needed, he went to his neighbor's house who had one lamb. And he took that lamb away from that man. And he brought it into his house and he, he slew it and he cut its neck and he prepared it. And that was the lamb that he fed to the travel. And David is livid. He is so tore up. He looks at the king and he said, you tell me where he is right now. He said, I want to know where he is right now. You know what? You got to watch that spirit. I'm not going to stay here and preach it, but you got to watch that spirit. Because the people that are always standing picking out everybody else's stuff usually have a closet full. Listen, can I preach to you right now? Do not stop being faithful to God because of people like that. Well, people always judge me. You're not going to stand before people on Judgment Day. Well, they talked about me and said that I'd done this. Listen, I'm not worried about what they're saying about you. I want to know, is it well with your soul? I've seen too many people give up on God because they're frustrated with people. know why I keep getting stuck on this and coming back to it. Church hurt. Church hurt. Church hurt. You didn't get church hurt. You got people hurt. And you're giving up on God because people hurt you. You know what? People are going to let you down at your job but you go to work and get a check. People are going to let you down at school but you go because you got to get an education. And people are going to let you down in church but you go because you got to be saved. I thank God for you precious people. I'm honored to be your pastor, but you're not all perfect. People have made mistakes, and God help us if a road-weary traveler comes walking in the house as a prodigal, and we're looking down our nose and saying, what have they done wrong? Where have they been? Do they deserve to be here? I pray to God that when the prodigal walks through the door, I'm not the brother complaining. I'm the one that's celebrating. I'm the one that's rejoicing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He said, you tell me where he is. and I, I, I'm, I'm going to go to that man, and I'm going to kill him, and I'm going to restore to this man what belongs to him. And I know you can't see it in the scripture, but I'm going to tell you what I believe. I don't believe there was a pause. I don't believe that Nathan hemhawed. I don't believe that Nathan stuttered. I don't believe that Nathan had to contemplate how he was going to say it. I believe that when David said, take me to him, help me find that man because I'm going to kill him, I believe without even drawing a breath, Nathan just said, thou art the man. Now forgive me, I know this may sound self-serving, but I'm going to tell you, as a pastor, I'm still thankful for men of God who will stand in the pulpit and declare... I'd rather a man preach to my salvation than to preach to my happiness. I wonder if it ever crossed Nathan's mind. I wonder if I tell him the truth, if he'll quit paying his tithe. 
I wonder if I preach the truth, if he'll quit coming to service. Hey, I'm going to tell you, we've got to preach the truth whether people show up or not. I don't think you realize what was at risk with Nathan. David was the king of Israel. And anytime he wanted to, all he had to do was look at his servants and say, he has absolutely dishonored me. Take his head off. But thank God for a preacher that's willing to say, I don't care what it costs me. I'm going to tell the truth. He said, thou art the man and the Bible said that David immediately just became sick it overwhelmed him he was overwhelmed with emotion the Bible said that him and Bathsheba had slipped off and he was watching the servants because she started getting sick I don't have time to preach the whole story the Bible said that he looked up and he knew when he saw the look on the faces of his servants. The Bible said he knew that the child was dead. He knew. And so since there's so much disaster. And there's so many things broken, David. Why don't you just quit? Why don't you just throw in the towel? Because you've made so many mistakes that it can never be corrected now. But I want to show you. Verse 19 of chapter 12 of 2 Samuel. When David saw that his servants whispered. David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servants. Is the child dead? They said he is dead. I'm going to show you how the enemy worked. When this news comes, the enemy wants you to stay down. But don't you see the very first part of the next verse? Go to verse 20. Then David arose. You know what I'm here to do tonight? I'm here to preach a rise up into somebody. You know what I'm here to do tonight? I'm here to preach a get up into somebody's spirit. I'm here to preach to somebody that the enemy has kept you down. Sally's been screaming in your ear. Sally's been mocking you. The devil's been telling you all that you've done wrong. But tonight, before you leave this house, I believe somebody's going to rise up in this place. Listen. The word, the word, the word of God is so powerful. Earth always represents flesh. That's where man was born. The Bible said that David rose up from the earth. He was laying on the earth. David got up and defeated his own flesh. When David got up from the earth, the Bible said that he washed. He had spent enough time in dust and ashes. And when he found out the baby was dead, the Bible said that he got up and he washed himself and he anointed himself and he changed his apparel and he came, oh God, if I could preach this tonight. And he came to the house of the Lord and he worshiped. 
Are you hearing what I'm telling you? That's why the spirit of darkness wants to keep you out of the house of God when you fail. David said, forget that. If I'm going to be restored, I've got to get up and go to the house of God. There's a lot of people that don't believe this. I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe that the only way you're going to be restored is to come to the house of God. Brother St. Clair, you don't, you don't think I can be saved without, without going to church? I don't. I don't. I'm going to tell you why. Because if you can't stand with everybody with you, you're not going to stand when you're by yourself. I wish so bad that I could preach to you tonight about how bad we need each other. This week in Los Angeles, my wife and I and the girls, we had a, we had a free day before we flew home. And we went to the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library. Uh, they're doing an exhibit right now for the next few months on Auschwitz. And as I walked through and listened and looked at pictures and read... I started noticing that there was a common thread that went through everything. And that was very simply this. The, the, the horror and the crimes and the, the darkness of Auschwitz. I can't, I can't even explain to you, wrap my mind around. But I'm going to tell you what was powerful. Is there was a common thread that ran through it. And it said the people who stuck together had the best chance at making it. They said the ones that died first were the ones that refused to stay with the crowd. The ones that lost their lives first were the ones that refused to stay connected with a brother. God have mercy. I want to tell you tonight, the darker the world gets, we don't need, we don't need a bunch of isolated people that are running off to do their own thing that all they care about is us for and no more. I'm here to tell you tonight, I need you and you need me. We need one another. We need the body of Christ. And the answer will never be being with you less. The answer will never be doing my own thing for a little while and coming to the church when I need it. I'm telling you, we need the church of the living God. Oh, God. We need the body. The Bible said that he came to the house of the Lord and he worshiped. But I want you to notice the rest of this verse with me. The Bible said, and then, and then he came to his own house. Oh, Bishop, if I could just convince people to see. That this is not just about what you feel when you come to this house. When you leave this house, you've got to go back to your house with a made-up mind that what you promised God in this house, you're going to go home and do in your house. I thank God for every breakthrough that happens in the altars of this house. But the way to keep that from happening again is to go home and build an altar in your house. 
Come on, somebody's got to understand the value of living for God every single day of the week. Talking to God every single day of the week. Hallelujah. The Bible said that he went to his house. I'm coming to a close if the music wants to come. He went to his own house. And when he required, they set bread before him and he did eat. Then said his servants unto him, What thing is it that thou hast done? Thou didst fast and weep for the child while it was alive. But when the child was dead, thou didst rise and eat bread. He said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me and the child may live? Verse 23, so powerful. Somebody say, So long, Sally. He said, But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. He said, David, why have you stopped fasting over it now? He said, because it's already done. There's nothing I can do to fix it. There's nothing I can do to change it. What's done is done. I made my mistake. The penalty has been paid. But I've already, I've already been to God about this. And I've already been to his altar about this. And I've already worshipped in the house of the Lord about this. Now I've come to my house and I'm going to set some things in order in my house. I'm not going to sit around and weep over what I did yesterday. I'm asking the God of my salvation to restore unto me the joy of his salvation. Pastor, aren't we supposed to be holy and blameless? Yes, we are. But every one of us are going to slip and make a mistake. You know what you need to do tonight? You need to get back up again. You need to get back up on your feet again. You need to stand up in the house of God and say, I may have made a mistake, but I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to throw in the towel. I'm not going to stop. Verse 24, the Bible said that David comforted Bathsheba, his wife. He went into her, laid with her. She bare a son, called his name Solomon, and the Lord loved him. You know, Solomon was the son that built the temple. Solomon was the future of the kingdom. But I want to show you this process. It's, it's easier said than done. I understand that. But I'm going to show you how this whole thing worked. He got up out of the ashes and the dust. He buried the baby. Somebody say, bury your past. He buried the past. The Bible said that he went into his wife. His wife. You hear that? This is Bathsheba. This is not Uriah's wife anymore. This is his wife. You know what he did, Bishop? He married the present. Somebody say he married the present. And when he married the present, he produced a future. This is the answer to where you are tonight. You're going to have to bury the past and marry the present if you're going to produce a future. I don't know who I'm preaching to tonight, but I wish somebody with some Holy Ghost power on you would rise up and make your way to this altar tonight. Throw your hands in the air and say, so long, Sally. So long, trouble. 
So long condemnation. Oh God. So long bad decisions. So long failure. I've come to the house of God tonight. And I'm going to let the Spirit of God restore me tonight. Come on, if nobody else gets it, you got to get it tonight. If nobody else walks in it, you got to walk in it tonight. 